Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so pleased to have Mr. Tim Ryan, a man in recovery, on the program to talk about the very serious issue of drug, drugs and drug recovery. Tim, welcome to the program. Thank you to be here. It's truly an honor, my friend. Uh, as you know, I was on LinkedIn and I saw this beautiful story about this young lady, uh, Mackenzie, who donated her Christmas money to your foundation um, because of her father's uh, uh, recovery. And I was so moved by it. And I'm so happy that we got the opportunity to meet. Before we jump into Mr. Tim Ryan, a man in recovery, tell us the audience a little bit about your education and background and tell your story about how you got here to this point of being a man in recovery. That's so, you know, when I speak and, and talk, I tell people I hold two PhDs. I hold one in pain and I hold one in partiology. That's my education. You know, I was a very successful business entrepreneur um, in the cable marketing space. I went over into the technology space, but I was also the person that lived in the world of alcoholism and drug addiction, in and out of 12-step-based programs, because I'm the guy that could never put my hand up and ask for help, and I kept it my secret. I turned my wife into my enabler, and ultimately, after 14 months of being clean, I, I tried a bag of heroin, and, and I struggled with heroin addiction for my last 12 years of active addiction, and it ultimately took me to the Illinois Department of Corrections twice. My last time, I overdosed while driving, hit two cars, almost killed four people. Um, but I was also the guy that had an office in the Wrigley Building in downtown Chicago on Michigan Avenue. I, I was making a half million dollars a year, and my life was completely out of control. Ultimately, Judge Wada sentenced me to seven years in prison. When I walked into prison October 30th of 2012, I was a broken man. Uh, I'm six foot one, 195 pounds today. When I walked into prison, I was 158 pounds, skin and bone, walk and death. In Illinois, there's 28 prisons, two have therapeutic drug treatment programs. And by the grace of God, I was able to get into one and in Sheridan Correctional Center and the West Care Drug Treatment Program saved my life with a little bit of effort on my part, but that's what it took me to get sober. My wife of 16 years divorced me. We lost our home in foreclosure. I displaced my wife and four kids. My oldest son was in active addiction. I walked out 13 and a half months later for the first time in my life, 13 and a half months clean and sober. I had wrote the business plan for a man in recovery foundation while incarcerated. And about three months upon my release, I set up that foundation. I started a number of support groups. I started helping people. And August 1st of 2014, when I was 21 months sober, my 20-year-old son, Nicholas, succumbed to a heroin overdose and, and passed away. So my son died on my 21-month sobriety date, and I'll be the first person to say I helped kill my own son because my son followed in my footsteps. I wasn't a father. I was a friend. And upon my release, Shannon, my former wife, and myself, we did everything we could to try to help Nick. 
and my son's passing really solidified what I do today. You know, I went to a 12-step base meeting that night. I never looked back. And, and I'm a man on a mission today. Um, you know, in four and a half years, I've, I've been to over 140 funerals. We've assisted over 4,000 people into treatment. And the disease of addiction, whether it's alcoholism, cocaine, Xanax, heroin, opiate pain pills, it does not discriminate and uh, I'm the guy that tries to get people to put their hand up and ask for help because uh, I've been there. I've done that. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was quite moved by your story and my condolences from the loss of your son because there's a lot of Thank parents you. who are experiencing what you've experienced. And, 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 and my hope is that someone, by the reach of your voice, uh, will help them to help themselves or help a loved one. Uh, who was affected by this addiction? So let's let's talk about your your foundation, a man in recovery. Um, how can people help you? So you, you know, when I got out of prison and I went back into the tech space, and about three months in, I I called my mom and I I said, Mom, you know, I I, I need to borrow fifteen thousand dollars, and she said, For what? I said, I want to set up this foundation, and I'm going to live on half and get the lawyers and accountants. Their only question was, Are you going to pay me back? And I said, Yes. And in my mind, I thought I'd raise all this money, pay myself fifty grand a year, and save the world. And what I found out very quickly was, people, and I love animals. I have a, a rescue pit bull. But people would rather donate money to animals than they would people struggling with substance abuse or mental health. For the first three years, a majority of the money we raised was through my professional speaking events. I donated every dollar. Unfortunately, we have families who we've been working with their, their loved one. They passed away. They have the memorial funds donated. It's very difficult to raise money in this space, helping people struggling with substance abuse. So I actually have a, a full-time job. I'm, I'm national director for a, a drug treatment center called Transformations. I speak, I run my foundation. So with our foundation, we have no employees. All the money we bring in, we give away. And basically what we do is we help people that have no resources, the people that don't have insurance or they might have state insurance. Take Illinois, it's a 12 to 16 week wait to get a bed. When someone wants help, you have a 12 to 24 hour window to help them. So we'll backdoor them into a detox. And then I have a, a number of programs nationwide that are four months, six months, a year, two years. We'll get a bus ticket. We'll get them an airplane ticket. We'll put them on a train. We'll send them to these programs. Some we can get people in for free. Some are a thousand bucks. Or we'll pay for people then once they complete treatment to get into sober living homes because you take someone, whether they're 20, they're 50, they're 60, most people that are going to treatment um, have lost a lot or they need that structure then. That's really what we do. And we do the awareness and the prevention, but that's what we do with our money. Um, what we bring in, we, we give away about 75% about 25% is some operating expenses, but that's it. And so uh, where can someone uh, make a donation? What, how can folks get in touch with you? What is your website? 
They could go to www.amirfisinfrank.org or just search, go to Google and type in a Man Recovery Foundation. Excellent, excellent. And um, let's talk about um, your, your talks when you're uh, addressing an audience. What is the message that you're trying to convey to your audience, because you have, I mean, typically your talks go for what? How how long? Of a t- much time? They could go an hour up to three hours. I've I've been the keynote for three hours, and my audience is either high school, colleges, corporations, uh, community forums. Because what happens? You know, where I live right now, I live in Naperville, Illinois, rated one of the top ten towns in the country to raise a family, upper middle class, and. We don't have a problem. It's the guy down the street. <clears throat> no, it's not. Anyone is subjective to the disease of addiction. And with a lot of the kids today, you know, the, the social media, the cell phones, the instant gratification, it's easier for a kid today to get illegal pain pills or heroin than it is to get a six-pack of beer or a pack of cigarettes. And I don't just talk <coughs> about drugs. It's the bullying, the fitting in, being a leader, not a follower. You're a product of the five people you associate with the most. And kids today don't know where to ask for help. And then on the flip side, with the communities, parents don't know what to do. And they, they don't go and escalate it to a boss or a friend due to the shame, guilt, and stigma. Oh, my God, our kid's struggling. They Let's keep it a secret. No, we need to talk about this. And there's a big movement, too. I did a TED Talk a couple years ago, and you can find it, uh, Tim Ryan, Naperville, Illinois, TEDx. But what I talked about is the stigma of addiction, but also, you know, we have 25 million people in long-term recovery but they hide in the rooms of a 12-step base or a Christian-based program. We need more people coming out and being proud that they're in recovery. You know, I'm grateful that I'm six-plus years sober, and I share my trials and tribulations so people don't have to make the mistakes I do, and they can put their hand up and ask for help. And so when you think about the road to recovery, is it's tough. What are the key steps that one should be aware of that will allow them to set a foundation so that they that they can recover so so a it's finding when someone you you know i had a mother call me yesterday and her her 25 year old daughter's a heroin addict and she said well my daughter's willing to do outpatient i said let me explain your daughter's trying to dictate her own treatment and and what i explained to someone in active addiction is don't take any advice from the last person you got high with and that's yourself so you don't take uh, someone struggling with addiction trying to write their treatment plan there's a reason it's detox inpatient residential parcel hospitalization outpatient then long-term sober living but a lot of people don't know how to find treatment I'm also an advisor to a company called Rehab, R-E-H-A-B.com. And Rehab.com is the only transparent website where someone can find treatment that is not owned by a treatment center. People ask me why I work for Transformations Treatment Center out of Delray Beach, Florida, because bar none, we have one of the best clinical programs in the country. And ask questions. Does the center have an addictionologist? Do they have master level clinicians? Are they working with the underlying trauma? Do they have gender specific? There's so many centers out there 
people don't know what to do and they just type into Google and the first thing that pops up, they go to. Do your homework, ask questions, ask to speak to former clients and, and do your due diligence. I'm kind of looked at <coughs> as a concierge of the treatment industry because I know where to guide and direct people. Here's three options. Just because I work for a center, 3% of the people that I work with actually go to my facility because they, they might have more trauma or they're schizophrenic or whatever. So you need to know where to guide and direct people. That, that's beautiful. Uh, recently, I had the opportunity to introduce you to a couple of folks, and I really hope that um, something comes out of that uh, because answers to drug addiction are very, very challenging. And you're so willing to, to share your story and your, and your expertise. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we are here this morning with Mr. Tim Ryan, who is a man in recovery, who has a phenomenal story about his, his ability to overcome with addiction. Now, if I understand correctly, you have written a book, correct? Yes, I also, I, I, there's two things. I had a documentary last year on A&E called Dope Man. So for the, the viewers out there that have Amazon Prime, they can type in Dope Man and watch, watch my documentary. I think they charge you five bucks. I don't make a dollar. And yes, I also published a book, uh, Tim Ryan from Dope to Hope, A Man of Recovery, which is available on Amazon. And it's, it's real. It's raw. I was just at a 12-step base meeting at 630 this morning, and there's a gentleman, Jack, who's 60 years sober. And he said, Tim, I didn't realize you, you wrote a book. And I said, yeah, I, I wrote one about a year and a half, two years ago. He said, one of the guys read it and he said he couldn't stop talking about it. It was one of the most powerful books because I talk about what can happen, <clears throat> but also that there's hope at the end of the tunnel, you know, that if I can turn my life around, anybody can. And don't ever give up on someone that's struggling. You might have to put boundaries in place but if they have a heartbeat, they have hope. And so um, let's talk to the, the parent uh, who has a teenager in high school. What are the signs that a parent should look out for uh, to determine if their child might have a problem? And then if, if, if they see these signs, what are the, the, the best practices as for a parent to, to, to take on to try to get their child help? First advice I give parents is whether you're a mother or father, your child is not your best friend. Let's not get this. I, I see so many mothers. Oh, my 16-year-old daughter is my best friend. No, they're not. And as a parent, do not ever tell your children what you did. If you experimented with cocaine or never, ever tell your parent kids what you did, because now you just opened Pandora's box. Know who your kids' friends are. Be into your kids' technology. That device called an iPhone, a parent is responsible for it. And, oh, I can't look at my kid's phone. That's their privacy. Yes, you can. Read their diaries. Know their passwords. Look at their Snapchat. Look at their Instagram and see who their friends are. And if you feel a mother's intuition is always right. If something's wrong, something's wrong. Drug test your kids. And you know, if they refuse, it's an automatic dirty. If they're smoking weed and they're 15 or 16, do they need inpatient residential? I don't know, but they might need to see a therapist. But if there's any cocaine or benzodiazepine, Xanax is really 
big with the younger kids today, you absolutely need to get help immediately. Um, but parents are afraid to. I see this generation today where a lot of these kids run the home and, and the parents walk into a restaurant and look at a family eating dinner and mom and dad and the two kids are all on their cell phones. They don't even communicate. Put the technology down, monitor it and know who your kids' friends are. And if there is an issue, get help immediately. And so how does the parent transcend from being the friend to all of a sudden realizing that they now have to really be a parent? You know, they should never cross that boundary of being a friend. When your kid graduates college, then they can be your friend. But until then, you need to be a parent. I can remember when I was a Cub Scout pack master. And of course, I was in heroin addiction, but nobody knew it. We would, after a parade or whatever, go to one of the parents' house, and all the parents are drinking and getting drunk in front of the kids. This is showing kids that this is okay. Um, kids mimic what their parents do. But if your kids start isolating, changing friends, missing school, money's missing, chances are they're struggling with addiction, and you, you need to get on top of it immediately. Um, and look for treatment programs out of state. Get your kids away from people, places, and things. In hindsight, if I would have known what I know now, my son Nicholas from 16 to 21 uh, to 20 was in six different treatment programs. Five times we sent him to the same program. Three weeks and he's out the door. Well, what he did was basically pick up a lot more drug contacts. And, you know, if I would have known now, I would have got my kid on a plane out of state for 60 to 90 days. And the family also has to be involved. Treatment is just the beginning to the road to recovery. Once a family gets better, the person struggling will get better. And so when you, and then it's a great segue to my next question. What are the, the best parent support groups, support groups for parents? You know, there's a number number of them. You know, there's Al-Anon, there's Families Anonymous, there's Naranon. I actually started a support group to where I have the parents come with the person struggling at the same time. And if you come to my group, you're talking. You're not sitting in the back hiding. And then I'll split it. And I'll put all the loved ones in one room and I'll work with the people struggling what parents don't want to hear is the truth because the truth hurts. And a lot of time, one of my other sayings is if you baby an addict, you're going to bury them. And I'll have parents say, oh, well, I know my son's using and I can't kick him out. And it's like your son has no re or daughter has no reason to change. They got a warm bed. They got food in the fridge. They can shower. They can come and go as they please. But you're paying for their cell phone and their car and their gas. They have no reason to change. You know, and just because you might tell them they need to leave the house for your own sanity, that doesn't mean you can't go have lunch with them once a week. It's very complex. I mean, it's uh, and it's destroying a generation of people. I mean, with opiates, we lost 72,000 people last year. We should we have a pandemic going on and the government's just starting to talk about it. And all they want to do is point the finger. I want to find more solutions. I don't want people having to go down, but you know, we have a pill for everything. You know, you can't sleep, take this. You got panic, take this. Oh, your ADHD, take this. 
We prescribe 90% of the world's prescription pain pills are used in the United, United States of America. 90%. And we're only 5% of the world's population. What does that tell you? Everything's driven by big pharma. Well, as we've seen, a, a number of uh, uh, doctors have come under uh, legal scrutiny um, for the number of prescriptions that, that they have uh, placed. Um, when you think, I see your sign there, Walk by Faith. Um, as you know, drug addiction knows no boundaries. Um, for those who are uh, have a religious belief, whether it's Christian, Muslim, etc., um, is there a different direction for them to use their their faith as a way to help them to uh, focus on their recovery, or does the program it it's it's it applies to anyone, everyone, and you know it's changing. There there's the twelve step based programs. There's celebrate recovery, Christian based. There's refuge recovery, which is Buddhist based. There's smart recovery. What it really is, is people need connection and, and have to learn how to change every aspect of their life. You know, if I go to treatment and I come back and I'm still hanging out with my friends that are in addiction, I'm eventually going to pick up. You know, if you sit in the barber shop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. If I go sit in a bar because I want to hang out with my friends, I'm going to eventually drink. But so many people that are in addiction think they're not going to have any fun. But it's like you're really having fun now, struggling with alcoholism or opiates. Um, and it's just having mentors. It's having people you can connect to. And I don't care what people do to get sober. Some people transition into more meditation and yoga or working out or getting into music. Um, and do what works for you. You know, and this isn't like a 12-step based program. Isn't religious. I... I went to church my entire life. I blamed my God for everything. When in hindsight, you know, I, I lived more of a spiritual life today. You know, my God was always there, but I was just walking away. And, you know, I try to live God's will, whatever that is. To me, God was a gift of desperation. I was desperate enough to put my hand up and say, Tim Ryan's way doesn't work. And I try to live God's will and my son next will to the best of my ability. Don't get hung up on those things because we can obsess and compulse about the craziest things and justify us using more. You know, Tim, I, I learned something new today that you were involved in business. You're in the Wrigley building. Let's, let's talk about leadership in, in drugs. Um, for your leaders, your business leaders, people who own a business, whether it's small, medium, or they're a manager with a Fortune 500 company, um, what are some of the, again, the signs that they need to be aware of if they have uh, a particular employee who is struggling with addiction? You know, and, and I, I do a presentation on that where I go into um, corporations and I, I speak on mind, body, and soul. But what I really speak on is dropping the mask. And, and the quick scenario is we go into work and on Monday, Johnny shows up three hours late and he's really disheveled. It's like, what's wrong, Johnny? Oh, nothing. No, what's, what's going on? Well, Johnny just saw a major car accident. Someone was thrown out of the car and run over. Okay, we know we need to go get Johnny into HR and maybe get some trauma therapy. Next scenario is Lucy keeps missing work twice a week, showing up late. Are you going to empower your team to say, Lucy, what's really going on? And it might not be Lucy struggling, 
but it's her husband, it's her kid, but she's not telling anyone. And we need to know how to support these people. Third case scenario is it's your boss. Are you going to be able to confront your boss and say, hey, John, we know you've got a problem here. See, I was human resources worst nightmare because they would tell me, Tim, you can't drink at the holiday party anymore. Okay, I just won't go. Instead of saying, Tim, you're a great employee, but you have two options. You can either tender your resignation or you can go get help because people, companies today would rather fire someone. No, it's better to get that person into the right program the first time, get them back, support them through love and grace so they can come back and be that productive worker instead of saying, oh, oh, look at John. He's the guy that went to treatment. He can't drink like us. It is still very favorable to go out and drink a lot at work. And it's really, especially the younger people coming into the business world, you know, they, they think they have to drink to keep up. And, and next thing, your life's out of control. And you might make all this money and have all these things, but you're every night with yourself, by yourself, crying to yourself because you don't know how to ask for help. And, and those are some things I go in and do to the corporate world because a lot of people don't know what to look for and they don't know how to provide the proper help. Wow, that is super. That is really super. And, and do you find that the company's benefits packages will provide for folks getting um, uh, help and will they give them time off from work to go and- get that treatment? Sure. Through the Family Medical Leave Act, you know, you can take off to go get help. But I actually consult with a lot of insurance payer providers now on when you're selling insurance to 50 person employees, 1,000, 2,000. You want to make sure that you have the proper packages available because <coughs> somebody thinks they just bought a, a good Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO insurance policy out of network, but they don't realize they have a $25,000 deductible. So it's really educating people on, on what's available. There's some great union policies out there that don't even cover mental health or substance abuse. So these people are paying in. And unfortunately, a lot of blue-collar worker, workers struggle with substance abuse. And it's educating the companies on, on what's available and what questions to ask. Wow, Tim, believe it or not, we are coming down to the end of our program. This has been so riveting and so helpful. If you can, um, take, take, take a good minute or in, and a half, if you can, and provide our audience with the message that you want them to have and understand in regards to if they have themselves or they have a loved one who's in recovery. You know, Having someone in recovery, you want to support them. But if you have someone that is struggling, don't be that person that is afraid to talk, to tell. Nobody grows up and says, you know what? I want to be an alcoholic. I want to struggle with addiction. I want to be a professional water skier and a stuntman. But I didn't know how to put my hand up and ask for help. And it's okay to ask for help. We have had seven Chicago police officers in the past three weeks commit suicide because of mental health and pressures on the job, because they didn't know they could put their hand up and ask for help. And treat people with love and grace. Don't co-sign someone's BS if they're in addiction or alcoholism, but know that there's support out there, there's help, 
and just put your hand up and ask for it. Find me on Google, on Facebook, whatever. Tim Ryan Addict, Tim Ryan Hope Dealer, you'll find me. I have my personal cell phone number out there. Call me and I'll guide and direct you. But never give up and there's always hope. And for, I have, I have a bonus question. Um, and, and for the parent or friend or loved one who is struggling, what advice would you give them to, uh, to give them hope, to, 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 to reinforce their strength? Because they have to be strong for their loved one who is struggling with that, with that, love, with that drug addiction. Well, I want them to understand they didn't cause it, they can't cure it, they can't control it. But if they have a heartbeat, they have hope, just put your hand up and ask for help. But if you are the family member that has a loved one struggling, get yourself some help too, and uh, it's readily available. You know, you can reach out to me, get on Google, support groups, it's all out there, and don't be afraid to walk in and ask for help. Drop the mask. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Tim Ryan, a man in recovery. He has written a book called uh, From Dope to Hope. He's a documentary that you can get on Amazon Prime called Dope Man. It is so important that we educate ourselves and we strengthen ourselves with knowledge and information. And please reach out to, to Mr. Tim Ryan. Tim, thank you for coming on the program. And thank you for listening in this week on Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. If you've missed any of this broadcast or previous programs, go to iTunes under Seton Hall University Podcast and look for Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter and you will see this interview and our other 224 interviews. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. I want you to have a great weekend, but always remember, leadership begins with you.